Welcome to another episode of the 20 Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill, a church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam, and while you open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, I'm going to put the 20 minute timer on the clock. We're continuing our look at the Ten Commandments. Starting in verse 12, it says, Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land that God is giving you. In the book, uh, or sorry, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul points out that this is the only command given that has a promise associated with it. That if you do this, the other ones just say, don't steal, don't murder. This one says, if you do this, it will go well for you in the land. Now, why is that? I think there's a couple of things attached here. One of them is something a friend of mine pointed out to me a couple years ago. He said, think about this. If you lived in this time when God is giving the children of Israel the Ten Commandments, thousands of years before Jesus was born, or you lived in the time of King David, or you lived in the time of the Babylonian captivity, or you lived in the day that Jesus was born, or you lived a thousand years later, or you lived even just five, six hundred years ago. Life was not radically different. There might be some differences in technology. There might be some differences in dress or cultural custom. But you had a village that you lived in, and you probably lived there your whole life. You probably never went farther than a few days' journey from your home. System of government relatively the same. All of these things that were very similar. And the family institution passing knowledge and heritage down from one generation to the next is a constant up until very recent in in, in terms of human history, it's a very recent thing that, that we have changed that dynamic. So your mother and father, if somebody was, was alive into their old age, whatever that was relative to the time, it was because they had figured out how to defeat their enemies, defeat the wild beasts, how to farm well, how to maintain good relationships within the village. Your father, your mother, were your main source of identity and heritage and information to succeed. And so there is a sense in which what God is saying is, these are the, this is the, uh, the social fabric I've set up. And if you, if you listen to the wisdom of those who have come before you, it, it just will. It's a, it's a very practical thing. Some people try to put like a big spiritual um, meaning to it. It's just very practical. It, it's, it, I mean, it's like, if you, if, it's like if you have that friend that's just super wise and they're like, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And then you go and do it anyway. And it's like, oh, I know I should have listened to my friend. And they're always right about that. What, what God's saying is, hey, there, there's a reason why I, I've set this thing up the way I have. So it's partly very practical. And, and I also think it's, it's just very relational. Here's the social fabric of your community. And so many things in, in the in the law, the Old Testament law was just, how do you keep a society in that context functioning? I also think that there, there's an element of, um, I think all of these 
latter um, Ten Commandments, the, the, this latter half of them, really has to do with a culture of honor. How do we honor each other? I was thinking about this recently. Outside of, outside of your family, outside of your family, where do you have cross-generational relationships the way you do in the church? Because in the work environment, the work environment, generally speaking, limits cross-generational relationships to some extent. If you're too young, you're too young to work. You don't, if, if you're working at a, um, an office, you know, you don't work with a lot of 12-year-olds. If you're, if you're working uh, on the job site as an electrician, right, there, there's a retirement age, so you're not working with a lot of 80 or 90-year-old guys. There, there's a limit to an age. So, so most often you work with somebody who's, say, 25 to 65. There's that 40-year window. But what that means is if you're in your, in your late 50s, outside of your family, you are not forced because of work or whatever to have direct interaction with 14-year-olds who aren't your family. And if you are 33, you are likely not forced outside of your own family to have direct interaction with 85-year-olds. The church has those. We have people in our church from all ranges of age and experience. And now you have to interact, not just with people who are, look like you and think like you and have your same life experience, but you have to interact with somebody who has a totally different life experience. Uh, the other day, I, I had a conversation with somebody who doesn't go to the church but has a connection to the church. And he was in his 80s, and he had some very strong opinions and I, I, I listened to him and I thought, I would not experience this man's perspective if it wasn't for the church. And he wouldn't be forced to experience my perspective if it wasn't for the church. And I don't think that's bad. Having a culture of honor so that I can say not just to my physical parents, but my spiritual parents, my spiritual family, how can I honor you? The, the spiritual mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers in our church, how can we honor you? And they have to say, hey, how can, we, how can we love and serve the spiritual children and grandchildren of our church? Now, I know that in the real world, this is easier said than done in many cases. I had a friend whose father was terribly abusive, emotionally, verbally, physically to the point where she could not be in the same room as him for her own safety. And one time she said to me what I still consider one of the most shocking things I've ever heard. She said, I've been praying about how can I honor my father? I've been asking God to show me how I can love and honor my father. She was not giving up safe boundaries. She still would not be in the same room with him. Uh, she was not being gaslit or, or experiencing Stockholm Syndrome about her abuse. No, all of these things happened. Nothing was being swept under the rug or hidden away. She was still fully aware and, and, and working through her own healing of those tragic events. But yet she said, here's this verse that says, honor your father and mother. And there's no honor your father and mother if they're good people. 
It just says to do it. So how, Lord? How? Show me how. And I so appreciated that attitude. I was talking to somebody recently, and we had a disagreement about something to do with the Bible. And and I said, well, you know what? I just trust that if we're really following Jesus, if, if Jesus really is the Lord of our life, then he's going to lead us to a place to figure out how to live out these commands. And for if you're the person who's listening who has like the best mom and dad ever, and so this is not a question, God bless you. But I know so many people who are saying, how can I show honor? Maybe it's not my mother and father. Maybe it's my grandfather or grandmother. Uh, how do I show honor to those that God would have me show honor to? And we just need to pray and ask God to show us and to teach us. And I believe he will. The next command, verse 13, you shall not murder. Everyone agrees about that, right? Murder is bad. You shall not murder. It does not say you shall not kill. There has been debate throughout the history of the church about pacifism. The original Christians were pacifists. Don't kid yourself. Peter, in the Garden of Gethsemane, picked up a sword and cut off the ear of one of the servants of the priest. We're told that his name was Malchus and that Jesus picked up that piece of ear that had been cut off and he healed that man and reattached his ear miraculously. I personally think since we know the guy's name that he became a Christian. We have no record of Peter picking up a sword for the rest of his life. The early Christians were pacifists. They were not seeking to stir up revolt or insurrection against Rome or against any other kingdom. And yet later on, as soldiers in the Roman Empire became Christians, they had to work through, I'm a soldier, and I can't just stop being a soldier. It's not how it works. I'm here for a certain amount of time. What do I do with this? And so there have been those who have said that this verse says don't murder, but to kill in defense of your country or your homeland is not murder. It's, it's tragic, but it's not murder. And so there is debate. I, I do not see a prohibition against defense. If somebody comes into my house, tries to harm my child, my wife, Watch out, buddy. I think Christian pacifism needs to be more complex and more real than some kind of theoretical philosophy. But I do think that on, on some level, we should be pacifists. I will defend my family. I, I, will, defend, um, I will defend my family. I will defend others. Uh, I... I I have no trouble with that in, in, in a concept. I, I, I don't think there's anything miss, missing with that. I don't, uh, we honored recently our veterans at, uh, at church. We had, you know, Veterans Day, and we, we honored the veterans in our church, and I believe we should. Yet at the same time, I will confess 
that in my early 20s, I had a flippancy towards war and conflict that I don't believe was biblical. I believe it was from the culture that I grew up in, but I don't believe it was biblical. And I no longer hold that view. I think we need to find a way to seek peace and nonviolence. And at the same time, recognize that there, the Bible says there is a time for war. And that there is evil in this world, and that evil should be opposed. So I guess what I'm saying is, it's more complex than we would like. Jesus expanded this command. He said, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But if you have hate in your heart, you've murdered your brother. That if I, if I can't stand somebody to the point of, I will never speak to them again. And I'm not talking about, like I mentioned a minute ago, about somebody who has an abusive, uh, an abuser and they will not be in the same room as them. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about there are people who are my brothers and my sisters in Christ, and yet we won't speak. And if I refuse to seek reconciliation, then in my heart, I might as well murder them. I, I, I have violence in my heart towards them. Does that mean I have to be best friends with everybody? No, of course not. Again, let's, let's seek the more realistic, the more complex answers here. But let's not kid ourselves that there are people who say, I've never murdered. And yet, in their heart, they've hated a person or a community or an ethnicity. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus also expanded this one. You should not commit adultery. What does that mean? Well, okay, on a most on a very basic level, it does mean that you have physical sexual relationships with somebody who is not your spouse. That 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 is very clear and it's clear for a lot of different reasons. That Ephesians tells us that marriage is a picture it's a picture of God towards us, that God has pursued us, that God has, has brought us in and has made, us, made, made a covenant relationship with us and that he has cared for us. And that when a woman and a man enter into the covenant of marriage, that they are modeling a picture, a flawed picture, yes, an imperfect picture, yes, but a picture, a model of what God has been to us. And so when we abuse that, we basically are lying about God and his heart towards people. We also break the fabric of our society. We wound people. We hurt people. Our society will bend over backwards to justify infidelity under the right circumstances, so-called. Oh, it's a loveless marriage. Oh, they're, you know, it was, they were very young when they got married. They, they, they made a mistake. So it's all okay. 
and then we pretend that it doesn't hurt people. Even if I wasn't a pastor, just from friends and acquaintances, I can show you the body count that's been caused by infidelity and divorce. Incidentally, the New Testament says that if you divorce, Jesus said this, if you divorce your spouse for any reason other than immorality and you remarry somebody else, you're committing adultery. Now there's a question of when does that stop? Let's say, and I've known people in this situation, they, they were divorced for non-biblical reasons and they remarried. And the Bible says that's adulterous. When does that stop being adultery? Do they need to divorce again? And I personally just believe if they, re if they honestly repent before God, then it's no longer adulterous. That's my personal belief. I don't, I don't believe that divorce or adultery is the impardonable sin. I don't believe that there's no hope or future for them. That's ridiculous. That's not the gospel. But repentance is part of the gospel. Having an ownership of it. I'm not the biggest fan of Phil Robertson. That might be shocking. Uh, I like Duck Dynasty, funny enough. I like the show. Um, I feel like Phil Robertson, I wish that he would say things in a more loving way sometimes. And I also wish sometimes he was quicker to listen, to try to understand. It feels like he just wants to tell people how it is instead of listening. But he said something about his own history of adultery once that I thought was so powerful. He said, you can talk about things when you've been forgiven and when you've repented. He said, you know, people are uncomfortable talking about certain sins because they haven't really repented. But here's a guy who has, who, who in, in, in parts of his life had, had been a, a serial adulterer, you know, horribly unfaithful to his wife. And, and you might have read in the news, you know, a year ago that he found a daughter or a daughter found him um, that he hadn't known about from that infidelity. But he's, he says, no, I've, I've been forgiven. I've repented. I walk in, in righteousness in this area now, so I can speak about it freely. Jesus said, if you look at someone with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. That's a challenging thought. When you think about the Ten Commandments, I guarantee that if you really were to think about it, there is not a single Ten Commandment that all of us haven't broken. I think all of us have broken every single one of them. But we may not think of ourselves that, oh, I'm not an adulterer. I've never cheated on my, on my wife. I've never cheated on my husband. And yet, how many people have been engaged in long-term emotional affairs? I mean, we can look at the numbers in, in pornography, and it's not just men. The, the, the number of women that, that consume pornography is growing. It's, it's, it's already way higher than people realize, and it's growing. God didn't just put this in there for no reason. I keep going back to it. It's about a culture of honor. How do I honor people? And if I commit adultery, I dishonor them. I dishonor God. I dishonor myself. But we're so thankful for the mercy and the forgiveness of God. Yes, we were adulterers. Yes, we were idolaters. Yes, we were 
hateful and we had murder in our heart and maybe we even did violence in real life, but Jesus has saved us and Jesus has forgiven us. You shall not steal. Jesus gives us the power to change, to not take. That's, that's, what, that's what so many of these things are. It's just stealing. It's taking. I'm going to take the respect you deserve. I'm going to take the honor you deserve. I'm going to take away love and replace it with selfishness. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. So much false testimony, lying, right? There's people that lie. They're just, different people have different, well, you know what? I'm seeing that we're at the 20 minute spot, so I'm going to stop us. Isn't that the great thing about this podcast? If I hit, if we'll be back next week and I'm going to talk more about lying. (laughs) Thank you for listening to another episode of the 20 minute Bible study podcast. We release new episodes every Thursday. Sundays, we release our new Sunday services online, faithonhill.com, our Facebook page. Audio versions of this podcast and our Sunday services are available at Apple Music and Spotify. Just search Faith on Hill. My name's Adam. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.